1: Good morning, Good Shepherd. Welcome to Digital Church once again. And my name is Michael Ridzina. I am one of the pastors here, and it's my pleasure to introduce to you our guest preacher for the morning, Dr. Miroslav Volf. Dr. Volf is considered widely as one of the premier theologians of our time. Certainly one of my favorites. He was born in Croatia where he experienced deep and profound violence, violence that was often underwritten by and justified in Christian terms. It was that experience that shaped so much of his work, both as a scholar and as an activist. He's the Henry B. Wright Professor of Theology at Yale Divinity School. And he's also the founder and the director of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. He's written over 20 books, many of them award-winning, and frankly, many of them I've quoted to you over the years. He is the author of over 100 academic articles, and he contributes regularly to media outlets like the Washington Post, Christianity Today, uh, Krista Tippett's on Being, NPR, among others. And we could go on and on about Dr. Wolf's accolades, but this morning, I want you to know that Miroslav is not just a brilliant mind. He is a beautiful soul. We had a chance this past week to catch up with him in New Haven, and it's there that we experienced him as uh, gracious, kind, humble, energetic, and it really is an honor to be able to uh, introduce you to him. So open your mind, open your heart to Miroslav Volf. Dear friends, I'm delighted to be able to be a
2: guest preacher. I think that's what I am uh, for you today. Um, I'm not sure whether that's gonna be a sermon what I'm gonna give you, uh, or it's going to be a, a lecture. Let's call it just talk. But it's a talk about something that profoundly matters to me and something that Uh, day-to-day, hour-to-hour, touches our lives. I'm going to talk to you about hope. We're living in very difficult times when it is, I find it very hard to hope. Obviously, everybody thinks immediately about pandemic, uh, but also we think about uh, political, uh, racial, economic, cultural uh, divisions. The only bright sign, I think, is that the nature seems to be singing of joy. When we are hit with pandemic, uh, nature seems to be uh, thriving, which is a good thing for God's creation. But it's not just this year, at this time, that we live in, you might describe it as a time of hopelessness. It's rather that at the, from the beginning of this millennium on, maybe even earlier, I'm not sure exactly when, to uh, um, set the beginning of this no future mood that has gripped us, but that's what we are in. We are in a kind of no future mode. And I was recently talking to a, a very good friend of mine, my teacher, Jürgen Maltmann, who is the theologian of hope. He is 96, uh, no, 94 right now. And he's thinking about writing on the difference between 1968 uh, or 60s when he wrote his book, Theology of Hope, and today's age in order to kind of set why are we in this very gloomy mood. At any rate, fear and not hope is the signature of our time. Now, the question for us is what to do in such times. Now, if you turn your eyes to ancient teachers like uh, Stoics, Seneca will tell you, if you will cease to fear, you need to cease to hope. Where hope goes, fear follows. Basically, his response is, stop even wanting to hope. Once you stop wanting to hope, you will also be able to stop to fear. But can we stop hoping? Can I not hope, stop hoping for the project in which I'm involved in? Can I not hope that even this sermon might speak to some of you? I doubt that's possible. But even if I could, do I want to do that? I have a three-year-old daughter. Um, I love to observe her being immersed in the, in the present. It's absolutely splendid thing. Uh, no future, uh, no past, just this moment in the present where she is. But that's not what I want for her myself. When I look at her, I project her being immersed in that present, but that continuing in different fashion into the future. I want to hope for her as well. The advice of Apostle Paul for us in the time of fear, in the time of also suffering, is somewhat different than Seneca's, radically different than Seneca's. Apostle Paul writes, for in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what it is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, he writes that in Romans 8. It's a chapter about also about suffering, about distress. Indeed, toward the end of this chapter, he speaks about hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. He speaks about him, Apostles and Christians, being killed all day long. Now, this is the time when you need hope. In hope, Apostle Paul writes, we are saved, which means in very significant sense, in hope, I already possess that what I hope for. In hope, this future good, which isn't yet, already somehow is. That which I cannot see, it qualifies almost my entire existence. It's a hard thing to sometimes grasp, and I think of it well, that's like when you're in love. And even when the person you love is not present, nonetheless, that love that is there between you and that person qualifies your entire life, gives it a, a kind of new vitality. So it is, I think, also with hope. But how do we recover? How do we find? in the time of suffering, how do we find that kind of hope? Now maybe to start, a place to start is to try to distinguish between uh, hope and optimism. In other words, try to determine what we mean, what we should mean when we speak about hope. Now optimism is oriented toward good future just like hope is, but it's a good future that somehow grows out of the present and out of the past. It is kind of a future with which to use the image, an image with which present is pregnant. And we know what's going to come. And the question then of uh, whether that's going to happen or not is to analyze, future good will happen as we we think, is to analyze the, the present time and then project it into the future when we forecast weather. That's exactly what we do. We know the patterns of weather, we know what we can extrapolate, and we know what is going to happen. We know whether to smile or to frown at the weather that might be coming our way. Uh, it's, it's very different, I think, with hope. Hope is not based on circumstances. Um, hope is predicated on the reality that weather is right now bad. And if I analyze all the data that is at my disposal, I'm not predicting that it's going to be good. Hope is oriented uh, to the future, but the future that doesn't necessarily grow out of the present, but future that is, in fact, comes to us in something radically new. Now, paradigm of hope in the Bible, paradigm of hope for Apostle Paul, is Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. Um, As you will recall their story, they were trying to... um, get pregnant. Abraham was supposed to have heir, because if Abraham doesn't have heir, all the promises of God given to Abraham cannot be fulfilled. He's going to be alone, and his seed is going to die, instead of him being a future blessing to generations to, to come. And then God makes a promise, and Abraham believes. And out of this promise grows a reality which belied the state of Abraham's and Sarah's bodies. Something new has come, something new that is based on the promises of God who can make something out of nothing. And you can almost put it this way, that all hope is rooted on the one hand in God who makes something out of nothing. That's the very beginning, first, uh, lines of the book of Genesis and at the very end of the God who at the end makes all things new. this ability to make things new, this is the source of our hope. and this is hope to hope in situations that otherwise will cause call for hopelessness. Now, Apostle Paul talks about hope as hoping in what we do not see. And then brings to our attention the second feature of hope. It's not that it's something new that doesn't grow out of present circumstances. The object of hope, in some sense, is not seen yet. Now, most people, when they read this verse, and hope is in what we do not see, their thinking goes like this, and generally your biblical commentators will say commentators will say the same thing. Your thinking is, is is so I have in mind an object of hope. I just don't see it yet in the present. There's a time lag between what's gonna happen and what is now, but I hope for the object that I see clearly in my mind that will become mine, also in a real physical kind of sense. Now, I've come to believe, um, following Martin Luther and his commentary on Romans, that that's a mistaken way of thinking about the object of hope. And partly it's mistaken also because this object of hope is something new that God creates. Now, Luther connects this idea that we hope in what we do not see, with a statement that Paul makes just a little bit further down uh, uh, down one verse or two verses later. He says, Apostle Paul, we do not know how to pray as we ought. Now this is kind of a strange comment, right? We don't know how to pray as we ought. It seems like you're crying in distress What's there to know? You want this distress to be removed. You want it out of it. And that's all that there is to it. And yet, Paul says, we don't know how to pray as we ought. We don't know, he says, how to pray according to the will of God. So we are reaching for something in hope. But what we are reaching, we don't quite know what it is. Um, Luther says that hope transfers a person into the unknown, the hidden and the dark shadow so that he does not even know what he hopes for. The object that is actual object of our hope is still in darkness. We know that it's good but it's still in darkness, which means We ought to be ready to be surprised by the fulfillment of the promise, and we ought to be ready that it might not be the same as what we have actually hoped, what we have actually imagined. That, too, belongs to hope. Now, if I have a goal, I've set myself a goal, and I want to achieve that goal. But if I hope, I have already left open, what exactly will be that fulfillment? Now that too, I want to liken to the idea of falling in love. I don't know how it is with with you, but it has happened actually to me that you kind of fall in love, and you generally fall in love with somebody uh, with with, with the kind of uh, things that you you have always found desirable in, in, in this person that is incarnated. And yet at the same time, what I have discovered is that it wasn't exactly what I have imagined. Actually, it was different than I imagined. But somehow, in falling in love, I have recognized, "Ah, this is what I was hoping for all along. And this idea of hoping for something that you don't quite know, are surprised with, but then realize, wow, this is exactly what is meant in a sense for me. Uh, to give you another example, T.S. Eliot in his Four Quartets has also um, a line which read, reads, I send to my soul, be still and wait without hope. For hope would be hope for the wrong thing. <laughs> so how does one when one hopes hold the object of hope lightly so that one can be surprised with the actual fulfillment that comes. You know, that was the question throughout the story of the life of Jesus. If you compare what Mary prays when Jesus is born and hopes she has for him, you will think we know she's going to be completely disappointed. These are wrong hopes to have. Um, if you think what his disciples uh, have hoped all along, uh, there comes the time of crucifixion and all these hopes die. Uh, they die partly because they were wrong hopes, and we know that because when Jesus explains to his disciples when the kingdom is going to be, in what sense he's going to be, uh, he, uh, he, he, for what reasons and in what sense of kingdom ha- has he come, Uh, He re-narrates for them the whole story. So they have hoped, rightly hoped, in Jesus. But they were also, sometimes more reluctantly than at other times, ready to be surprised at something radically new. After the resurrection, the whole hope ends up being recast. And it is this that implies certain kind of darkness of hope and readiness for a surprise. Now finally, there is, uh, Apostle Paul says, not just darkness in hope, which is kind of difficult enough, but there's also patience that's necessary for hope. And by patience, what he, I think what he means, um, uh, something like endurance of hopes, standing in the situation of unhope and hopelessness and waiting, this period of waiting and enduring in this period. But if we hope, we wait with patience or endurance. And in some ways, I think hope is the thing that makes it possible for us to wait. If I don't know what's going to happen, if I don't have a promise, uh, I will grow weary. We learn endurance only with the help of hope. And when hope gets lost, the endurance also is lost. But on the other hand, uh, also, it's endurance that supports hope hope that becomes robust and strong when it has been tested and tried and continues to stay alive notwithstanding difficulty of circumstances that's this idea of not controlling the future but letting the god of future control the future and therefore need for endurance need for patience, fear, and hope. Now, why do we fear? We fear because we think that fear will save us. And sometimes, of course, fear does. We're frightened into flight. We're frightened into action. But often, fear makes us captive to suffering that has not yet even occurred. We kind of borrow trouble every time that we fear. And so salvation really can't lie in fear, in a sense, but our salvation lies in hope. What kind of hope? Not in hope that insists on the future good in exactly that form in which I have imagined it, but hope ready to rejoice in the kind of good that comes to us from God. To say that our salvation lies in hope, is actually to say that it lies in the hands of God, who always creates something out of nothing, and who is unconditional love. God who makes alive that which is dead, God of the original beginning of all things, and God of the recreation of all all things new, God of new beginnings. When God makes a promise, We can hope, and God has made a promise, irrevocable promise, in the coming of Jesus Christ, in his death, and in his resurrection. He is
0: our hope. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977 or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.